Are we on tape already? Yeah, but okay. I mean, yeah, this is kind of like use some pre-manager yeah, stuff. But that's my clean and sober date. Okay. I got sober in September of '88, but then I smoked pot intermittently. Cool. We'll have to hit on that. I know until I figured out that I wasn't being honest, as Janet liked to remind me. <laughs> You're big on that honesty, though. Yeah, for some reason they are, yeah. AA's big on that honesty stuff. <laughs> I have a similar story. Oh, good. Similar but different, but similar. Yeah, but, but similar different. but different. I don't think anybody in this generation, I know you're younger than me, but that doesn't have drugs in their story. Oh, yeah. I um, I got sober, so I just celebrated, if you would call it that. I don't, I, I recognized. Yes, um, on Friday that it was 15 years since I'd had a drink. Great. But in 2012, I reset my sobriety date because of poppers and diet pills. Oh, yeah. See, so, now I would even have a harder time with that than pot. But as far as being like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Well, when but I first... you know if you treated it as a habit. You and know, that's the thing. Yeah. When I first did it... yeah. It was one of those things, uh, okay, that was a mistake. Yeah. But then it was, I couldn't stay stopped. Mm -mm. And it's like, okay, this is a problem. And how I use these things is not okay. Exactly. Only we can, only we know that anyway. The sobriety date is not significant until, you know, you recognize it yourself. Uh, Janet told me uh, when she kept giving me progress chips in AA, knowing that I had fudged with pot. She said she felt so horrible, you know, giving me those progress chips. But yeah. she never said anything. I can't remember. Did you fudge with pot with, like, fudge brownies? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't even that exciting. It was when I would get stressed out. I knew that where I could get it. And if I was in around my family members who did smoke pot, you know, traditionally I would um, imbibe. Um, if I was stressed out, usually around the holidays, cause I hated holidays with my family. I just, yeah, yeah it wasn't right. Reg- I didn't even enjoy it. You know, it'd been nice if those four years, if I had actually been picked it up and re- smoked it on a regular basis, like I used to, but it wasn't, it was like I'd fudge every now and then. And the last time I did was when I was, uh, Dave and I first met and we were in Texas at a party that I didn't want to attend. I was nervous about going to that new year's Eve party and, um, I didn't want to stay, and I had been told, you know, because I had almost picked, I'd almost gone a whole nother year without smoking any pot, and he was going to make me quit smoking cigarettes, so I had Nicorette in my in my suitcase, and I was nervous about that, but uh, these girls were fiddling around with one joint, because they were all getting shit-faced drunk, and uh, there was one joint that they were just kind of playing with, and that roach was laying in the ashtray, and that's all I could think about the whole party oh. was that sh- that roach laying in the ashtray. So when he waved at me across the room and said, I'm going to bed, I went, okay. And he said he could see it in my eyes. He knew that I, I was going to smoke that thank roach. Thank goodness. It's yeah, about really. time. <laughs> <laughs> but then I felt so guilty, you know, and, and I felt so paranoid. I remember standing on in the uh, kitchen, and they're all talking. I didn't know anybody, so except for my sister-in-law, and I didn't know them that well. And I was just kind of swooning with my head, and it wasn't fun. Oh, my God. So my last using was not fun. And then we had a very silent trip back to North Carolina because he was all mad at me, of course. And then, of course, the next day I had to start stop smoking cigarettes, too, so I started the Nicorette gum, and that was a whole nother addiction. <laughs> so I don't know whether you know about that, but <laughs> Nicorette gum is very addictive. Well, of course it is. It's the, the nicotine. Uh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's, it's another drug. It's another yeah. drug. What's this stuff in, the, in the, these beers that, that I'm addicted to? It's called alcohol. It's yeah. the alcohol. What's the stuff in the cigarettes? It's nicotine. What's the stuff in the nicorette? It's the nicotine. nicotine. Yeah, because I proved the point with the... Now, I know a lot of people don't believe in these um, NA beers, even though they have 0.05% alcohol. Uh, my friend Jan and I went to hear somebody in the program play music at a little bar one night, and we decided to check it out. Uh-huh. So we ordered one of those... Maybe it was outdoors, but anyway, so we got one and and we were drinking it and we didn't feel anything. But as a normal alcoholic, halfway through that first one, we ordered another one. <laughs> of course, you, you did. Know? Yeah. And but so, all the behaviors I drank, exactly. it, I drank O'Doul's for about six months yeah. in my sobriety. That's I did it every night, and at one point it was like 
this is the same. I'm doing it because I'd gotten far enough away <laughs> that it was like all the behavior is the same around it. Exactly. Well, and I'm not feeling it, so I think I'll order another milk and another whiskey. Exactly. <laughs> but halfway through that second but I don't, one. I never felt anything. Well, me. yeah, halfway through the second one, we realized that we had stopped. And that we weren't interested in finishing it. And so all of a sudden we went, wow, this works, you know. But my taste for beer, I figured out right away, was not for the taste. You know, people say, oh, I missed the flavor. Well, it wasn't that I missed the taste, you know. It was that I missed the high. So I didn't really care, but I didn't care about them. Um, It wasn't important to me to have a a beer tasting item. You know, I just soon have iced tea or a Coke or something like that, but... Uh, we pre- and when Jen and I both looked at each other across the table, I can still see us sitting there and and saying, "Hey, it's not it's not getting us, you know. We don't yeah, want to finish our yeah. second one." But it's all the behavior there. Yeah, I had was. a sponsee that picked up his uh, one year chip, and he was wearing a Budweiser cap. <laughs> and I said, "Why do you feel that you need to celebrate?" the brand Budweiser by wearing their logo on your hat when you pick up a one-year anniversary of not drinking. And he had, didn't even think about it. Never I'm sure it's his favorite it. hat, probably just the way it yeah. felt on his head. Yeah, but no, it's like all the stuff that's around it, I have to give up all that as well as, you know, Mm-mm. the alcohol itself too. Mm-hmm. That, so I had to give up O'Doul's for that reason. I never went for the, uh, I never tried the non-alcoholic beer or anything like that. It just was, I mean, I was totally drinking for the alcohol. I knew that. (laughs) I found it soothing. I talked, uh, my sponsor knew I did it. He didn't, he didn't think it was a great idea, but I mean, I was. But what do they know? Do what you're going to (laughs) do. But it was the, I mean, it was, it was so stressful. Every day at five o'clock, that I found that having an O'Doul's eased me through that period. And uh, you know, it's, but it was it was probably dangerous. Well, you know, because I mean, all the stuff is there around. I get it, and I, and I can I can wrap my mind around just like um, someone who is a smoker who then starts vaping or doing the gum, whichever, mm-hmm. as a step down. To mm-hmm. quitting, mm-hmm. Um, I, I can I can appreciate the idea of doing near beer as a step down to quitting drinking, um, but it doesn't work for a lot of people. No, it doesn't. Yeah, well, that's that's what the problem is. It doesn't work for everybody, mm-hmm. and it can, it can lead back to drinking. Exactly. Sure. For a lot of people, it does. It and think and think about case. it. I mean, that, and that's not unique. I mean, think of how many people. We'll go back to the cigarette thing. How many people are vaping and smoking now? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a guy just recently doing that. So you know, it's it's it can work. Um, you know, the the smoking thing, the vaping thing worked for for my husband, and mm-hmm. he stopped smoking and stopped vaping. Wow. So, you know, it, it, it was truly the progression that he was looking for. Mm-hmm. I tried to quit smoking by smoking Merits, which were low. I used to smoke Merit Ultralight. So that, until I, I got switched from to smoking the a thing. pack a day to smoking <laughs> three packs a day. Yeah, I, oh, totally. <laughs> and, 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 and pulling on it harder, too, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's just, I was still getting the same one. I just need more of these. Well, that's Give me another one of those bears. That happened to me initially when I thought I was having a problem with alcohol. I used to go into this big party up in the mountains. I took L.A. beer with the low alcohol, which was half the alcohol. I don't know whether y'all even remember that. Vaguely, yeah. And so I I drank a six-pack of that and thought, well, this is for the birds, you know. And so (laughs) I was hitting up people. Of course, we had kegs buried in the the ground, but I was trying. I mean, (laughs) at the party, it was a huge party. It was called the pork out. I mean, the pork out is... Kegs are buried in the ground for what reason? That was to keep them cold, right? To keep them cool. Now, they weren't hiding them, Don. Yeah, no, they like had you a, hiding your beer in the bushes. You, where do you put the bodies? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there was probably they... fifty because uh, that year, uh, I don't know what was that particular year. There was these women that I hung out with from Winston Salem, and um, 
we had these skits. This one girl was just crazy. And she loved Steve Martin, and she'd always do King Tut. And I mean, it was we were all drunk on our ass, but we were doing these skits. And we'd practice for weeks before. I mean, this was a big deal to her. And I felt privileged to be associated with these crazy women. And so... Um, that, that's what I like about alcoholics. Yeah, They're yeah. Crazy, full so, of energy. The Got next plans. day, or maybe two days later, I apologized to my... Um, my friend, who was the only male pork, I said, gee, Mark, I'm sorry I passed out before I got, you know, before the skits. He goes, oh, Myra, you were in the skits. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. I said, are you kidding me? I mean, I can't even imagine. <laughs> you don't remember it? No. Totally in a blackout. I was very functionable in a blackout. Very functional. Very functional, yeah. We better get, get yeah. We, we ought to start the I show because this is. I, I, th- I think we're just going to run it. Yeah, really. <laughs> this is good stuff. Oh, good. All right. Now I'll lose. Now I'll clam up. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Yes, you are. Oh, I'm Sam. Yes, you are. (laughs) Hey, Don. In fact, your, uh, your email addresses Sam I am. Well, yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you got a, a you got a little bit of color. You've been on vacation. You you look a little green. Yeah, I got a little bit of color in me, uh, <laughs> in me face probably. I probably turned in a little green. I had a good time. I went to Ireland, <laughs> and I was gone for three weeks. Uh, two weeks on vacation and one week working. What's the uh, what's the national drink in Ireland? Guinness is life. <laughs> and believe me, I saw that everywhere I went, not only on posters. You know, I used to carry before I got sober. I was fond of this little card I carried in my pocket that said a day without champagne is like a day without sunshine. And I believed that and and lived that. And when I, I, I guess I'd been sober about three weeks and I had that, my, pulled that out of my wallet and was going, wait a minute, I got to get rid of this. This is like <laughs> the opposite of what I'm doing. And I ripped it up. Well, that's what's everywhere in I- Ireland <laughs> on all the bars, uh, pubs, there's signs for Guinness and Guinness is life. Um, it's everywhere. And Sam... It pissed me off. Yeah. Yeah. What pissed you off, Don? I mean, uh, you know, being surrounded by people drinking all the time. All the time. I can't imagine how that would would mess with you. Morning, noon, and night. And, well, I was surprised because... I've been sober 24 years. I celebrated, uh, I didn't I didn't really celebrate that much, but I had an anniversary while I was over there, 24 years. Mm-hmm. And Congratulations. And thank there's you. a lot of people in this world who haven't even met you who are glad you're sober. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> there's a lot of people who met me who don't know I'm sober who are glad I'm sober too. <laughs> but I was um, surprised because I've been sober for 24 years, and I thought, well, I'll be able to do this. I've been sober a long time, and I'll be able to have a good time. You know, here at home, I go into bars to have eat dinner. I, I go into restaurants that are bar-like mm-hmm. to eat dinner. When I first got sober, I couldn't do that. I did not like to go anywhere that was too bar, much like a bar because it, got, it jumped on me, and all I could think about is I can't drink. And now that's no problem. I'm completely neutral to it. I can go hear music in a place that serves beer. And I don't like to go to, like, dive bars to hear music. I have to go to concerts to hear music. But I can go to a place that serves beer, and it doesn't... Here. Here, and it doesn't get on, on me. There, it jumped all over my ass, and I felt 
betrayed or no, I felt like a like a failure in recovery. Like I should Ooh, be able to do this. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. And it made me angry because I couldn't do it, and everybody else could, and I knew that everybody else could. And really, I feel this way. The fact that I can't drink doesn't mean other people can have to not drink and enjoy right. themselves. I mean, this is the I'm the one with the problem. So I was I was surprised and hurt by it. And then the worst thing was I had really looked forward going over there to hearing a lot of Irish music and I talked to friends who had been there and in Galway and, and Killarney and in Dublin and gone into pubs and heard traditional Irish music and just the real thing. It's the and I went into those pubs and after two songs it was like get me out of here. And you know, if that um, if you were part of the fellowship there, so to speak, I mean, obviously you are, but you didn't know anybody. Right. Um, if you were in your element there, um, it probably would have been a hell of a lot easier. Because like you said, you can do it here. That's, you know, I hadn't thought about that. That's prob- that is, that's true. The you know, I went to a meeting in Killarney. It was just great. That was the first meeting that I went to. We looked it up on the internet and why it was 30 feet away from my hotel in a church that was built, you know, from Americans. A church built in 1400s is old. That's not old over there. I mean, I, I, there was a church on the property where I was working that was built in the 1100s. Wow. <laughs> but I, the, there was a meeting at five o'clock at this church and I went in there and they were there and of course they asked me to speak of course new meat <laughs> new meat and I spoke and then I couldn't understand what anybody <laughs> was saying afterwards I understood oh about God, yes. 80% but the accents were thick but you know they're staying sober and it was pure AA it was exactly the same program as here it was and I felt at home did and they hand out shamrocks instead of chips? They didn't. No, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, it was beautiful, but it didn't make it so that I could be comfortable going into pubs and listening to music. And so there was a really kind of a sense of grief about it that, mm. you know, this is not for me. This is not something I can do. And it really, also I was traveling with my wife who drinks, but she'll drink half a beer. If she don't drink right. Yeah. She, she, and <laughs> and it's kind of uh, shines a light on my drinking because never have I ever had half of anything. I mean, I don't have half. I don't half measures avail me nothing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well done, sir. <laughs> so it was it was a trial. It ended up being a, a trial. You know, she she got a whiskey, Irish whiskey, and I was sitting there, and this, this great band was playing. And the only thing I could think about was, I can't have whiskey, so I can't have the whole experience. I'm not experiencing the whole thing here. This is not for me. I'm pitiful because I'm an alcoholic, and even though I've been sober 24 years, it's like that was uncomfortable, so I started getting pissed off. Mm. Well, you know, um, you're not yet a spiritual giant. You're a spiritual gas giant. As you are (laughs) fond of reminding me. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, you know, it it totally is that thing of, you know, you're still an alcoholic. That's right. And And my God, it can catch us off guard when our alcoholic thinking kicks in. That's right. There's nothing unusual about an alcoholic getting drunk. The unusual thing is every day an alcoholic stays sober. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is true at one week, and it's true at 24 years. And, you know, it was driven home to me. So I was glad to get home. Now, I had a good time. And one nice thing about not drinking is I'm up in the morning, 7 o'clock, and ready to go see Ireland, the country, the nature, the the landscape, which was gorgeous. Mm. I hear you. Absolutely. You know, the pubs are not for me. Well, you know, and one of the things that I I, I liked about uh, having coffee with you yesterday um, was when you uh, you sat there and and said that, you know, I'm feeling better now. Yeah. In that moment, 
you started getting more of what you needed that you didn't have over there in Ireland, and that was just being connected with your your tribe, so to speak, um, on a on a personal level. Mm-hmm. It was because what I was doing, I didn't realize it till you and I were talking. Well, we're, I didn't realize it till I got back home and I shared it at a meeting, mm-hmm. and then I talked with some people after the meeting on on a Thursday night and then went to the meeting Saturday. I brought up the topic and talked about it. And then you and I had the meeting after the meeting, which is what the Boiled Owl podcast is based on, our conversations in the coffee shop after the men's meeting on Saturdays and how helpful that is. And it was the truth because as I was talking to you, I realized what I was doing the whole time I was there for three weeks was holding it in and being okay, and it's not a problem for me, and okay, well, it's time for me to leave the pub, but it's not bothering me. It's okay. It's okay. And everything's okay, and I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) I can go decaf anytime. (laughs) So it was such a relief to, like, pop the bubble and let all the because i'll get worked i got worked up talking to you about it yeah and it was like wow i'm really worked up about this and i let the steam out i let the pressure out of the pressure cooker and now i feel serene yeah i can tell <laughs> you weren't even vibrating when you said that yeah. ah <sighs> so now we can relax and have a conversation with one of my favorite people Myra. Hey, Myra. Hello. When did you walk in? I've just been sitting here (laughs) watching the show. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you. Myra, what what, uh, brought you to AA? What what was going on in your life that was so bad that you decided, I've got to go to AA? Well, I chased my boyfriend's car out of the parking lot at Latham Park and thought I was going to catch the bumper. You were going to jump it? No, I was just going to grab it. And be dragged. And dragged. And I was going to stop him. (laughs) Oh, wow. So when you were drinking, you had superpowers. I did, evidently. (laughs) I wasn't even that drunk. You know, I was trying to control my drinking. I was doing all that magic stuff to try to control my drinking. At the end of your drinking? Yes, and I did that. I tell like people, what? What were the things? The details of the things that all right, you did. For example, this particular night, which was the last night I drank, I was going to limit myself to one drink. And we were at an outdoor cookout, cook-off. They had chili in a big pot outside of this house. And there was a lot of people there. And we were sitting inside, but the keg was on the porch. And so I would get up and go to the bathroom and go around and go by the porch and fill up my cup and go back and sit down. Because I was telling myself I only had one drink because I only had one cup. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. I like the way you think. Yes. So when I got home, he took me home early because he was older than me, and he had adult children that were visiting. And this was early, probably about 930 or 10, and uh, I did not want him to leave. And I was jealous of his children's attention, you know, and, and I was drunk. But I was not in a blackout, fortunately. And he said, I'm going to leave anyway. And he was a very mild-mannered guy. He wasn't, he didn't argue or if we didn't really fight. I was the one that would, you know, go off. But so I ran out and tried to chase his car. Latham Park has these little back areas where you park. So you don't get much speed going getting out of the parking lot. So I just, and I'm glad I was aware enough to realize what I was doing. But I went out and tried to grab his bumper skid on the pavement and uh so you realize your thinking was off i realized it but and then i can remember the car you know he stopped and i could see the exhaust coming out of the car but he didn't immediately get out of the car and then he finally got out of the car and came and got me up and took me into the apartment later on he told me that he was thinking he didn't know whether to get out of the car and help me or back over me and I knew if I had riled that man who was 18 years older than me that much that um, I must have really showed my ass. Mm-hmm. But besides that, the miracle of all miracles was that I did not think about him 
when it suddenly dawned on me that I had a serious problem. Uh-huh. My, my next call the next day was actually to a friend of mine that was taking classes at UNCG and had been to an AA meeting. And I said, I think I need to go to an AA meeting. And, the, and she said, well, there, she, she had to go for school. Was that a hard call to make? Not to her, it wasn't. To you, I mean. I mean, she was my friend, so no, it wasn't hard to. You were ready. Well, no, it was a hard call to make to the central office to find out where the meetings were. But Uh uh, I went the very next, I went that night. It was Sunday night at Radiance was my first meeting. But I also had called my sister, and I don't know, it was that night or a few weeks before, and asked her if I was thinking about stopping drinking. And um, no, I thought I had a problem not to stop, not to stop having sex. Uh, It was just that I knew I had a problem, and I knew she did too. And I said, would you go to an AA meeting with me? And my sister said, I'd rather quit eating than quit drinking. I can relate to yeah, that. Yeah, I can relate to that. So I thought, well, she's not going to be any help. No. <laughs> um, but you're going, you're thinking that you're going to go to... Kind of figure out figure how to out. control it or... Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, my boyfriend at the time had a, a brother that was a severe, severe alcoholic. Not like me, you know, just a severe alcoholic. <laughs> and... Um, and he was visiting uh, him one day, and I was—I had really shown my ass. Oh, I know what it was. I woke up with this good friend of mine who was a trucker on top of me having sex, and I was woke up out of a blackout, and I said, get off of me. And he just looked at me like, well, you didn't say that a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I was i was startled, and, uh, and I knew him. It wasn't like it was a stranger, which has happened before, you know. Uh, so it wasn't like I was not... Uh, you're a blackout drinker. Oh, big blackout drinker. But that it was but the controlling day. it. Yeah. But trying to control it when you. So came, it was the next yeah. day that I went to his house and his brother was visiting. He she, he had the twenty four hour day book laying in his lap, and he was telling his brother about AA. Now this was before my last drink. This uh-huh. was just after that particular. But this is where you heard about AA. It's where I got introduced to AA. But then he said, "But you know," he said. Um, it's all right, except sometimes people get up there and start talking about drugs. And I, I immediately cut off, you know, my man, my brain immediately cut off and said, well, then AA's not for me because I'm a big pothead. And I smoke pot from the minute I got up till the minute I went to bed. So I... You th- knew that was a problem for I you as well. I knew that that was... Well, no, I didn't even think it was a problem. I thought it was a solution, you know, for me. And I, I found that. out later, but yeah. it was to maintain my... Um, I mean, I didn't call it serenity back then, but it was the only way I could cope with life was to smoke pot. Well, yeah, coming into AA, the hardest thing was like the one thing that's holding me together. Yeah. You're asking me to give up. Yeah. I'm, it, it, it works. Right. I mean, that's the reason, except for the fact it quit working. But it works for a long time. It did, and I enjoyed the... Uh, I want to say placidity. I don't know if that's even a word where you're just kind of numb. You're kind of floating through the day. Comfortably numb. Yeah, comfortably numb, like the song. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so I just, I think that's one thing that I kind of knew in the back of my head that I was probably going to have to give that up too if I quit drinking. So I was tiptoeing, tiptoeing into the idea that I had an addiction problem and didn't even consider it that necessarily at the time because this was in 1988. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I did go to a meeting the next night after I tried to, to grab his car, it was just for me. I remember consciously thinking, I don't care about him anymore. I just figured out that I was pitifully uh, out of control. Mm-hmm. And, and so how long have you been sober? I've been sober, now? Now, clean and sober now 24 years, the mm-hmm. same as you, because I had to start over after slipping on pot occasionally. And even not like repetitively, it was just occasionally. Did you start over each time? Oh, I know. I had a great sponsor, and you know her, but I'm not going to say any names. But she she was telling me to treat it separately. <clears throat> Excuse me. She said to go to NA and pick up start over chips for her pot and continue to pick up progress chips in AA for my alcohol. What do you think about that? Same? You know, that same thing was mentioned to me uh, when I started over uh, at uh, nearly nine years of, um, and, and I used pot, you know, poppers and diet pills. Mm-hmm. And some of the people that I talked with uh, were like, well, you don't need to start over. Others were, well, are you going to have two, two dates? Are you going to have an alcohol date and mm-hmm. a drug date? 
And you know, for me, it was just a. It wasn't even anything to consider. It, it was I have a sobriety date, and it has changed, and mm-hmm. that's where I went with it. For some people, they do maintain multiple dates. I can't imagine doing that. Um, I still, you know, I, I was talking with y'all earlier, um, uh, just a few days ago, was did mark fifteen years that I have not had a drink. Mm-hmm. And that date, I mean, I've got chills right now. That date is important to me mm-hmm. because alcohol is what kicked my ass. Yes. Um, but that is no longer my sobriety date. Exactly. So you and I share that feeling, Sam, because I never felt right about it. And plus, I didn't even feel comfortable in NA because, I mean, they're, they're addicts after all. I wasn't an addict. I was a, pot, <laughs> I was a pothead. A pothead's not an addict, right? Yeah, an I addict mean, will steal your stuff and help you look for I it, know, right? I It's just, I was thinking, you know, God grew pot for me. This was a, a medicinal thing. It wasn't, you know. But the same addictive uh, compulsion uh, had me in my head, and I knew that that was what it was. But picking up uh, chips and progress chips in NA did not do a thing for me except make me feel like I was fudging. You know, that I was not clean and sober. And, oh, there was one lady in the program that used to give out chips. She said, this was 60 days clean and sober. Mm-hmm. And I would go, oh, my God, you know. And so I would. <laughs> yeah, it would uh, yeah, shine a light on you. It would. It would be the because, little twist. Well, you know what it is? It's like it's you could do do them separate if, if you can do them separate. Mm-hmm. But if. What's going on inside? If I feel like that I'm living a lie, mm-hmm. if I feel like I'm not that this is, if I'm not being honest with myself, mm-hmm. then that's what the, what it is. Because I got to stay sober. It's about me uh, surrendering. Exactly. It is well, and it it, it is all personal. It's and personal. Um, you know, I've, a quick little story. So um, I uh, I won't go into the the details, but but I've said before, Crystal Meth Anonymous it saved what AA gave me. Though meth is not part of my story, it's when I met these guys in CMA, who uh, I instantly related to, that I realized, crap, the poppers and the diet pills. I have to get honest about this, and I and I can't tell them I'm sober. Um, mm-hmm. And be and have integrity. So that's where I wound up starting over. Well, I went to a, a CMA conference a, a couple of years ago, <laughs> and there was a delegate there from Australia, and I got to know her a bit, and she absolutely amazed me, shocked me in that she quit drinking first, or maybe maybe it was quit drugs first, but she quit something first. And then later, uh, she got a new date when she quit drinking, we'll say. So she quit meth, then she quit drinking. And then years later, she quit smoking and changed her date. Mm. And for her, it was important that she could say that I am entirely clean. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I quit smoking uh, 90 days after I quit drinking. That, for me, was not a change your date thing smoking cigarettes smoking cigarettes okay um and so for me that was not a change your date thing Mm -hmm. uh it was not something that held that importance in my life right so So it kind of depends on how you use it exactly it's a personal thing for some people the uh the poppers and the and the uh, diet pills that i changed my date over they don't care it's not an issue for them the way i used it the way i couldn't be true to myself and stay stopped made it important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's entirely personal. Sure. We, in, in all of these 12-step recovery groups that I have experience with, and I'll venture to say that it's probably true in all of them, you keep your own score. Exactly. Right. It's about being honest with myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So give us something that w- was one of the first things that you discovered in AA that was in working the steps that was really pivotal to you. The first thing that comes to mind is when I had, I guess, 30 days, and I never thought I could quit. I didn't trust myself to to quit anything for that length of time. So I felt like I had self-control and that I was living on my own. I had a good job. I had a car that was, you know, drivable. I paid my bills. Everything was on the up and up from the outside looking in. Um, I was single. <laughs> Nobody wanted to stay with me any length of time. Weekends only. Um, and so 
the 30 days when I realized that I didn't crave a drink, but the 30 days I was still smoking pot. So I don't really, that, that probably doesn't count as one of those pivotal moments. But well, it was if it's the way it felt to you. It felt to me like it was amazing because I had done the suggestion of praying in the morning to God keep me sober and then thanking him at night. And that got Did me. Did you have any trouble with that? No, because that was another thing that was pivotal when I sat down with the 12 and 12 and, and studied step two because I was um, a very belligerent, reforming Baptist, and I had been very brainwashed and was very afraid of God, my God, that I was taught to grow up. And when You I were was, evangelical. You were like trying to convert other people. No, no, I didn't go that far. I just knew that I was doomed to hell, period. It didn't matter. I was already doomed to hell. So the way my dad, I mean, they were, it was like I'd already messed up. You know, the guy of my misunderstanding had already put me on the blacklist, and it didn't matter. So Mm -hmm. even though I prayed because it was in in my DNA to do that, and I can remember, you know, passing out and then waking up in the morning and actually consciously thinking, oh, my gosh, I didn't finish my prayer. But it was that Santa Claus prayer, God bless so-and-so or get me this or, you know, heal this person. It was the list, laundry list of stuff for God that I was taught from the beginning of um, of prayer. So when I sat down, because when they said, you know, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, and, and I did think I was insane. I'm not insane, but crazy, because I'd been in therapy years before I even thought I had a drug, an alcohol problem. Uh, with my first husband in Louisiana, I was very much going to counseling and trying to figure out, and I, I loved all the things they were, this isn't really, this is a long answer to your question, but the, my therapist would say, quit halfway through your second drink which everybody laughs at when I mention that. <laughs> and then the next yeah, thing right. the next thing was to only smoke pot on the weekend. So nobody had ever told me they felt like I had a problem with alcohol. And so but when I got in and got that first 30 days without a drink, even though I was still smoking pot, it was a miracle. It was mm-hmm. just a miracle. And uh, the other thing was that I lived in a lot of fear. Uh, I didn't like living alone. I mean, I was fearful of living alone. I went straight from college to my to get married to, and then when I got uh, divorced and lived alone, I, when I get to my apartment, I would look under the bed, behind the shower curtain, in the closets. For some reason, I was always convinced that there was somebody going to. I don't know what that would have done if I'd opened the shower curtain. Somebody was standing there, but uh, I always checked and checked and checked. I was a compulsive behavior and then I realized one night I'd fixed my dinner and sat down and I was watching TV and I thought I haven't checked I must trust now my higher power to protect me and that was an awakening and I think that was at about three months that I suddenly realized that I had a, a a power greater than myself that I trusted you know that was looking after me because that was a conscious awareness and you're and you saw you're getting some benefit other than just not drinking. Right, exactly, exactly. And that was a big one. That was a real big one. Because I didn't start into any other counseling or anything um, that first year. I had people that I talked to. I remember the meetings after the meetings uh, out in the parking lot. At, I went to Beginners over on Mendenhall, and, and we had a big, we always had a big group after the meeting in the parking lot talking and <laughs> I was talking to somebody one day, I think she's a counselor now, but I was talking to her about my anxieties and stuff like that, and she suggested getting on an antidepressant, and I said, oh, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to take anything, you know, Mm -hmm. and she said, well, Myra, it doesn't take you off, it doesn't completely take you off the edge, but it moves you back enough that you can think about it before jumping, and that was the first indicator to me that maybe I was treating my disease of um, depression and anxiety with the, the pot, you know. Mm-hmm. I think the pot, more so than the alcohol, was the fact that I was maintaining some sort of uh, calmness. And I had a sponsor one time tell me that, you know, that, no, you weren't really, you, when you couldn't get alcohol, you went to pot. And I said, no, boy, you should have seen me if I didn't have any pot. If I didn't have any pot, that was really crazy because mm-hmm. I didn't drink every day. I was a periodic drinker. But the, so, so did you start taking antidepressants well, with her it guidance? It wasn't right away. But, but you did eventually? I did eventually. 
I, knew, I realized I had to put down that. It's kind of like people say, oh, I'm going to have surgery and not get the painkiller. Mm-hmm. Well, that's bullshit, you know, yeah. because, you know, if you're going to be in, in if you're going to be cut on, <laughs> well, you better it, get But some. it depends on what the drug is. I mean, it's, it's good to have counsel with someone who understands what alcoholism is, what addiction is, and then how certain, certain drugs that... There was a time when they used to give very addictive drugs for depression. That's true. Now, this, they did, I mean, unfortunately. And, and I, even now, some doctors will. I went through the Prozac years, which I don't remember, you know, my memory was very lapsed during that time. Uh, what's one of the steps that was pivotal? I bumbled, I bumbled through the first few years of my sobriety without really any significance. I think that the significant is the second step. Did you work all the way through the steps right away? No, it took a long time. I was guilt-tripped into my fourth step by an abusive boyfriend. I was in ACOA, and he was wackadoodle crazy. But he was putting the pressure on me to do a fourth step because he thought that the reason that I was who I was was because I had not completed my fourth step. And I remember going up to the mountain house where my parents had a mountain house at the time up in Virginia, and I remember sitting there almost being forced to finish my fourth step by him. Not your sponsor. That's interesting. No, not my sponsor. It's it's interesting, too, how many people um, in the program or or aware of the program or or in a different program will uh, will talk about, you know, the fourth step, the fourth step, the fourth step. Fourth step is absolutely important. It is. As is the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. Right. Um, because it's it's not until we get through all of those that we're cleaning up the mess mm-hmm. that we've uncovered in that fourth step as well. There is the ninth step promises. Yeah. They come after the ninth step. And we will be amazed before we are halfway through. Halfway through what? The ninth step. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. But no, I don't feel like I ever really did. Um, I mean, this might not be pertinent for your podcast, but my fourth step, I don't feel like was ever very complete. I've been working with a new sponsee that we were, we, we got all the way up to the fourth step in the book and we were going to do another, was going to do another one together. And then all of a sudden we screeched on breaks. So now that I'm separated from my husband, that's another reason for me to do a fourth step. And now I'm in intense therapy. Do Do you have a sponsor? Yes, but she's far away. I mean, she's in Asheville. So. Well, I want to recommend you get a local sponsor and, yes. and go through all the steps. Well, I don't know whether you want to talk, you know, just real casual, but the other night at the meeting I was at with that you were at, I really enjoyed what this lady shared next to me. And for the first time ever in a long time, I felt like asking her to be my sponsor. Myra, do it. That's a message. Because I, I, after the meeting, I was It's too good inter- that you can yeah. still have a long-distance relationship with a sponsor. Yeah. But having somebody local, there's nothing. Well, she's older, like it. and just I just like what she said, and I don't. My problem is making my sponsor my friend, and then I lose. You know, I don't want to them to say, "Oh, Myra's got 24 years clean and sober; she should be better by now." And that's not the no. case, and we all know that's not the case. That's mm-hmm. right. And uh, so when this lady shared gut level some stuff that I thought, man, she is on the beam. So I, I really encouraged her to come back to the meeting. So I encouraged her to come back to the meeting. I told her we really needed her support. And I was really saying, I need your support. And so I hope she'll come back and I will ask her to, to be my sponsor. But I want to treat her just as a sponsor. I don't want any of this well, best friend stuff. if you go through all the steps, everyone I've gone through the steps with, uh-huh. I end up being friends with them. Well, of course. It's well, just but the there, way there's it is. a difference too from from my experience. I mean, I have had sponsors that have also been friends slash buddies, people I hang out with. Exactly. But I've also had sponsors that have we've become friends, but we don't hang out. Yeah. We're not mm-hmm. buddies, uh, and that's kind of where I am right now. I'm I'm just today finished a fourth step, okay. and I'm doing a fifth step with my sponsor Tuesday night. Wow. And so, do you uh, finish? You finished writing today? Yes. Oh wow! They don't. Right. T- they don't take a long time anymore. No. You know. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, the last one I did was in December of 2015. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, it was kind of cool. But but one of the things that I made a commitment to when I started over 
was that I'm going to work the steps with every sponsor Sure. because I had not prior, only with the first one. Mm -hmm. And so now this is part of that commitment with this new sponsor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm really looking forward to doing the fifth step with Mm -hmm. him. You discover new things. You dive deeper. You dive to places you couldn't dive before because you Mm -hmm. couldn't see it. That's sort of what my separation has done to me. Because I feel like I've had blinders on and been. Now you you, know, you recently separated, separated right in January, and this has been a real crisis in your it life. It has and been. I, it was a real I'm, shock. And I've noticed that. Oh, I've been seeing you at meetings real mm-hmm. regularly. What are you doing now to stay sober? Well, I go into a lot of meetings. Um, I'm actually volunteer. You know, I volunteer at the intergroup office once a week. Service work. Service work and. Um, get together with other recovering women. Uh, I've become reacquainted with somebody that I knew early on in sobriety. She and I have become very close. Really getting therapy right now is more important to me to because I don't want to drink. Drinking has not occurred to me since this happened. Well, I've noticed that you seem to really dive into the meetings and and show definitely, up and definitely, and, and hang on to the words. Uh, the one particular meeting that I go to that you're at is the the book study, and I, book studies are important. I've picked up a new meeting that's a twelve and twelve uh, meeting too, and so it's not because I found myself really feeling sorry for myself, but at the same time realizing that there's nobody that can do anything about it but me, just kind of like with our alcoholism, and so it doesn't matter whether I feel like a victim or what. I need to get regrouped and figure out that you need to ask somebody to be your sponsor and go through the steps with them <laughs> well, uh, on this i mean that, i'm really that's what you yeah. need to do well okay. local sponsorship is important to me yeah um, my my before i moved back here to greensboro mm-hmm. i uh i had a sponsor in, in durham mm-hmm. and when i moved back here it was important to me to get a sponsor here in greensboro yeah because i did talk to my sponsor in Asheville right after i separated and uh you know, I went to her because of my panic or my angst about, you know, the fact that this was happening to me, and I needed somebody well, to... You desperately need to talk to yeah. a sponsor talk when that's going on. Well, yeah. you know, and, and uh, so just recently, I, I got um, some some news that I needed to just... Ch- I needed to check in with my sponsor about uh-huh. uh, some stuff that was going on, and so I called my sponsor. He didn't pick up. I left him a message. And then I called the sponsor that I had before him, and he didn't pick up, and I left a message. And then I called the sponsor that I had before him. Really? <laughs> and he picked up, and we talked for 15 or 20 minutes oh, about wonderful. what was going on. Yeah. And absolutely, I mean, he still knows me really well. Well, that's the person uh, and, that I'm in touch with is my very first sponsor, and I have been close during this situation as well. Mm-hmm. But she's in the process of moving from Greensboro. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been we've stayed in touch intermittently the whole time I was in Asheville. But you know, she has helped me through this because she just experienced a death, you know, of her spouse, and so she shared a lot of the same grief uh, situations mm-hmm. that I have been going through. And uh, but no. Well, because that's what that's what recovery is about is going through difficult times. Yes, and and being able to do it without drinking, without turning to to escape my feelings, mm-hmm. and the, so being immersed in the program is is what works. And you mentioned therapy, mm-hmm. and I think that it's always important for us to acknowledge that you know. The 12 steps don't fix everything. No, that's absolutely mm-hmm. true. We, we absolutely, uh, I have had outside assistance as well. I've gone to therapy. You know, we go get the help we need. Mm-hmm. And the thing right. is, if I'm not drinking, I'm much more likely to go get the help that I need. Yes, exactly. And willing to pay for it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and actually working so I can. <laughs> yeah, that's not something that comes... Through, mm. But, you know, when you have to pay $135 a week to pay, you know, for your therapy and don't mind because, you know, you're getting help from it. I'll be clean with you guys about the fact that I've never been a big fan of Myra. So it's really hard for me not to pay somebody to help me rather than to think that you would help me out of the goodness of your heart. That has plagued me all my life. And so it, it's almost like I'll listen more acutely to somebody that I'm paying because I didn't think I was worth it. And especially on the cusp of getting kicked to the curb by my husband as far as the relationship goes, 
you know, well, that that's incredibly makes me think damaging this. to yourself. Yeah. There's and nothing so, more damaging to and yourself. And then he picks up on a 10 year younger woman, and the chances of me getting a 10 year younger man, probably not, you know. So I resent that, but at the same time, it's like, who gives a shit? You know, my my focus needs to be on me. You know, but uh, my therapist and I are getting ready to start in on some serious uh, trauma therapy, um, and she's going to figure out a safe place for me. But I don't know all that is still aside from the meetings. Staying involved in AA is my biggest asset right now. The friends and the support I've gotten, but. I've also figured out people are tired of hearing my tale of woe. I need to start being talking less and listening more. Take the cotton I, out of my ears. I hear man. what you're saying, but I also appreciate uh, when you share. And that's the reason you're here is oh. to share where you are and, and you know, all that you do to stay sober. Thanks, but, thanks for coming today. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Don't go anywhere. Uh, you matter of fact, you might want to lo- watch out, Myra. Duck, duck. That pesky owl, he dive bombs all the time. It's time for our old timers question. Who are you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. It's still one day at a time, no matter how long you've been sober. Don't you, Sammy? Oh, something new. That was cute. <laughs> if you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. All right, so let me get this question in front of us. We have a question from the Internet. Yes. Uh, let's see. Rebecca D. in Connecticut writes, My question for the old timers, what is the difference between an AA group and a regular AA meeting? I had been under the impression that any AA meeting I attend on a regular basis could be considered my home group, but I've been told by others in recovery that this is not necessarily so, that an AA group is one that has a group conscience, one that meets multiple times per week, does outgoing speaker meetings, and where I should be doing service commitments. I find this distinction sort of confusing and arbitrary. I tried reading the conference-approved pamphlet on the AA group, on the AA website, but found it similarly confusing. Maybe you can shed some light for me and other confused listeners. Many thanks. Well, thanks for writing. That is a really good question because it's not obvious what the difference between a a meeting and a group is. And you will hear a lot of different things. I did, but it took me a while to discover how it is built. This is the way I describe it. There are meetings and there are groups. The groups are responsible for the meetings. The groups put on the meetings. You can go to a meeting anywhere, anytime, and you can sign up for them, but somebody's got to make those meetings happen, and that's the group. So what happens is people join a group, and that becomes their home group, and then that is where they are responsible for putting on the meetings. Now, I really like having a home group and being responsible for putting on a meeting because that protects me from myself. I was told, your home group, you're responsible to go to the meetings. So if you have a home group that has six meetings a week, you should go to the six meetings a week. You're responsible to make that happen. So I have a home group that meets on Monday nights. I am responsible on Monday nights to be there so that AA can happen in Greensboro. And that commitment protects me from myself so that I can't decide that I'm just going to go to a meeting when I'm feeling bad or whatever. On Monday night, no, I've got to be there because I've made a commitment. So then beyond that, the groups are connected to the larger structure (laughs) of AA. Then this is where I'm going to let Sam describe that structure in in a simplified way. Okay, happy to do that. Myra, do you want to say anything about the uh, the question before I describe the structure? No, you go ahead. Okay. I'm, I'm hanging on every word. All right, so all meetings are meetings, but some meetings are put on by groups. 
The general idea being that a group exists even when it's not having a meeting. Hmm. So there are some people who gather who have a meeting. And then when the meeting's over, that group no doesn't exist until, until they come back together for that meeting. But there are groups that do, as was described, some service work of like taking meetings to treatment centers or volunteering to be on the call list or, or the other service opportunities that groups fulfill. Also, groups register with the General Service Office in New York and get a group number that plugs them into the general service structure of AA, which means that the group has a representative. The general service representative represents the group at the district committee meetings, represents the group at the area assemblies, and at the area assemblies participates in elections that install a delegate for the area, who then represents the area at the general service conference that's held every year in New York. This is how the group is connected to the larger structure of AA. Exactly. So it's a service connection. It's a chain of communication that you're participating in, and a group is a part of that chain. By being a member of a group as opposed to being a member of just a meeting— I am connected to the larger structure of AA, so I'm not only making sure that being responsible that a meeting happens at a certain date, I'm also being responsible that AA is here across the whole world. Absolutely, and it's one of those things that the the general service is what makes direct service possible. Direct service is one alcoholic working with another. All the things that come into play that make that possible, such as meetings, as uh, printed books, as websites, telephone numbers that people can call to find out where's a meeting, all these things are general service. These are the things that make it possible for direct service. You know, the, another thing that, that was asked, I think, in this was, was about multiple home groups. Right. I, in my opinion, I have one home group. Because it's a group, it participates in the general service structure, so my vote as to how things work is expressed in that group. That's, That's my the way voice I look my at vote. it. It's the vote. But I do have other groups that I'm committed to showing up to. Saturday morning men's meeting is yep. not my home group, but I attend that meeting frequently. I it's, make a commitment to that meeting as well, but I have one home group. And I have chaired that meeting. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I will do service mm -hmm. in other groups slash meetings either way. But my commitment is to making sure that my home group, young people, actually is there and that uh, that we put on the meeting. And, and then I go, you know, beyond even further. It's, it's that business of making sure that someone new or that I don't recognize feels welcome. Uh, it's it's the the conducting of the business outside of the home group. I I went to a treatment center with two other home group members about a month ago. That was part of our home group's commitment of carrying a meeting to a treatment center, things like that. So it's moving beyond going to meetings where I'm going to a meeting to get help for myself. Yeah. To where I'm going to a meeting to be there for others. Absolutely. That's a great distinction. I hope that's clearer. It, it, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a comp, the whole structure of AA is very complicated, and it's, it's really hard to get around, but that's not what's the important, the important thing as far as groups and meetings go. The, the main thing with groups and meetings is that the groups put on the meetings. Rebecca, thanks for writing to the Boiled Owl. I hope we clarified and <laughs> didn't make it any more confusing than it already is. I'm sorry, Rebecca. Just keep hanging in there. <laughs> that kind of a, that, that's a, the truth is, you don't really have to be concerned with it at the beginning, but at a certain point, mm -hmm. I think it's a good idea to get a group and start participating to where my approach is. This is where I'm going to be here for others. May I add one thing, guys? The responsibility statement sort of sums it up. 
is that, you know, the hand of AA needs to always be there. And so if you make the commitment to a home group, as I have as well, you have to be there so that the doors of AA will be open to anybody else seeking help. You may not feel like going to a meeting, but you go and you set up your meeting and you get it all ready so that that one person that strays in off the street wondering if they're an alcoholic or not, is greeted by us in recovery that have had some experience that we can share, and that makes your day, let me tell you, like nothing else. That's the truth. Myra, that's perfect. Oh. That's, that's a great <laughs> summation. Myra, thanks for being here today. Sure, thank you thank so you. much. I think we ought to give Myra a hand, like the hand of AA. Oh, guys, Mine's we're not supposed clap. to do that, yes. Get off that pedestal, Myra. That's right. No, it's humility is it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.